So as Paul said, I did have a bit of a smirk in my face as I uh, went past an inside. Because life does not always go like you plan, or your plans go like you expected, right? But indeed, God is in charge. So I'm going to fall on my own sword here today and tell you that I had planned to go from verse 19 to verse 27 of, of this chapter in First uh, Corinthians chapter 9, but I only got to verse 23. And so that's what we're going to focus in on today, and I trust that God is in charge of that. But let me ask you this question. How, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, come to faith in Him, who told you about Him? Was it a pastor? Was it your parent? Was it a Sunday school teacher or a wanna teacher? Was it a complete stranger? Was it a friend? Who told you about Jesus? Maybe it wasn't even, maybe it wasn't even a person. Maybe it was a book or you watched Billy Graham on the television. I don't know. Billy Graham is a person, excuse me, but you know what I'm saying. And what is it that they said to you? What is that reached in and grabbed you and said, yeah, I need Jesus. Maybe it was just a very simple gospel presentation. A John 3.16 type of a presentation. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you said, yeah, that's, that's for me. I want to receive what God has given through sending his son. Or maybe it was your realization that you are a sinner. In need of a savior. That's my own story. Years ago in fourth grade at a camp called Frontier Ranch in the, in the Santa Cruz Mountains in California, I realized I needed a savior and I couldn't do it on my own. Or maybe it's more existential. Maybe you came to, to faith as an adult. Maybe you kind of tasted all that this life has had and you just kind of go, you know what? It left me empty. And Jesus is the one who fills that God-shaped vacuum in you. Or perhaps you're just someone who cried out to Jesus because he was your lifeline. You were living a life of self-destruction, and your own ways were just leading to death, and you needed someone, something greater than yourself. And you cried out to Jesus, and he met you. And he drew you to, your, to himself, and he is in the process of putting your life back together. And maybe it wasn't what was said. Maybe it was just how it was said to you that helped you connect. What was that? But let me turn this back on you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, what are you doing to make Christ known? Are there some purposeful things that you're doing to make him known to your Neighbors, your friends, your relatives, your co-workers, perhaps their parents of, of your kids' teammates on, on their sports team. What is the common ground that you're finding? And what are the obstacles to presenting that good news that need to be overcome? 
Today, as we continue in 1 Corinthians, we're going to look at the changes and adjustments that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was willing to make in order to make the gospel more accessible, more understandable to those who were like him and to those who were not like him at all. But what was he willing to do? Let's look at this. Open up your Bibles if you have them to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to pick it up at verse 19. So the Apostle Paul will say this. He says, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I myself am not free from God's law, that I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To reach the weak, I, be I became weak, to win the weak. I become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this, for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessing. Before we continue God's word, let's let's pray. Lord God, you have invaded history. You made this creation. You made men and women in your image, and we turned our own way. But you have pursued us. You have pursued us through your Son. And he came and dwelt among us and made God understandable. But not only did he communicate, he came and he died a death, paying a penalty that we could not pay, and then rose again. So, Lord, as we seek to bring your good news to a world that desperately needs it, would you give us your heart, first of all, for the men and women around us? But second of all, would you give us your creativity, your wisdom, and how to reach a world that sometimes there are differences that get in the way? So we need this, Lord. We want to have the heart that Paul had. We pray that you would use us. So open our eyes to what you have for us in your word today. And teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. So if you were here last week, I was sharing with how Jesus Christ reached into the life of an enemy of the cross. Into Saul of Tarsus grabbed him, apprehended him, revealed himself to him, turned him around and gave him a mission to make known the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel to the Roman Empire. This is what Jesus says to Ananias, the man who is going to help Paul be baptized and put his faith in, in Jesus. He says, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer 
for my name. And Jesus' words proved true. The Apostle Paul is a man who had the most impact on bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to the Roman Empire of any character we have listed in Scripture. And that Roman Empire stretched from you know, modern-day Italy up to the parts of, of Europe into modern-day Iran. You see, when God called Paul, it was a perfect time. The fullness of time, as Paul talks about in Galatians 4.4. 4. The Roman Empire had roads that made going from province to province easier. They were trying to get their legions there. God set it up so the gospel would be able to travel from place to place. It was a time where there was a common trade language. Alexander the Great had come through years before and brought Greek culture and the Greek language to that Roman Empire that was conquered later, obviously, by the Romans. And now he had brought his perfect person. Saul of Tarsus, now Paul. He had the perfect background. He grew up in a Greek city in Asia Minor called Tarsus. He experienced Greek, Greek culture, and Tarsus was a rich place for that. But he was also a Jew. And he was sent to the finest theological schools then. He was under a man named Gamaliel, and he became a Pharisee. He was steeped in Old Testament theology. He took very seriously the Old Testament scriptures, but he was also a Roman citizen, which means Paul could come and go as he pleased throughout this empire. He was not limited, and he had special privileges. And he was bringing this gospel to the Roman Empire. In his second missionary journey, he comes to the town of Corinth. He preaches the gospel and raises up the church there. And as you, if you've been with us in this series, you know what the, the subtitle of this, of this series is. It's Grace in the Mess. Because while God is doing great things in Corinth, it is really messy. And as he has left, he's had to address some of those messy issues. The problem is they keep getting kind of pulled back into the values of the culture around them. They're very self-focused. And in the previous chapter, they were exercising knowledge or their rights. Some were eating food in the presence of idols, and that was hurting the faith of others who would come out of this idolatrous background. It's like, when, when you're doing this, it takes me right back to where I was as an idol worshiper. It was hurting their faith. So Paul has to deal with that. And then last week we were talking about in the beginning of this, this chapter, of Paul enumerating all of his rights. Rights that he should be actually supported by the church in Corinth. But he says, you know what? I'm forgoing those rights. I'm forgoing those rights because I don't want there to be anything in the way of the gospel going forward. I don't want anyone saying, look, Paul's doing this for money. Or, hey, Paul, I've been supporting you. Do what I say. And so he says in verse 12, the second half, he says, We did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. In verse 16, When I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. 
Paul is captured by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he says in, the, in verse 18, Then what is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. You see, Paul realized he had been afforded great grace. And he wanted to be a grace giver in not using his rights. So he was willing to give them up. He writes in his letter to Romans about the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Paul is a driven man to bring this gospel to the Roman Empire. But he has an effective manner in which he wants to bring this good news and how he shares it. So pick it up at verse 19. He says, though I am free, something he he said earlier, he said, I'm, I'm not bound to any man, and I belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. You see, he takes his freedom as a freed man in the Roman Empire and he turns around and he uses it to become a slave if you will. Not to become a slave to you know, fulfill anyone's beck and call, but he seeks to accommodate himself in a common manner in order that the gospel might be received and understood by those he was bringing this to. And I call this Paul's incarnational approach. His incarnational approach. And he, he approaches four groups here in this, this section. Starts with a group called the Jews. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. These are the people that Paul is most like. He himself was a Jew. And by the way, you may know this, you may not. But where does the word Jew come from? It comes from the kingdom of Judah. The kingdom of Judah. There's no word Jew in the Old Testament. But when we get to the New Testament, you've got the word Jew. These are the remnant of the kingdom of Judah. He says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, of the kingdom of Judah in his background. He says he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In following the Old Testament law, he said, I was faultless, I was flawless. And he looked to that identification for so long. That's what made him hate the gospel. That's what made him hate Jesus. What? It's not in following the law? And he couldn't stand for that until Jesus reached into his life and changed him. You see, Paul didn't just hear the gospel. He experienced the gospel firsthand as Jesus apprehended him. Again, the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First, first to the Jew. And so Paul, when Paul starts his earthly ministry, he comes to a town. Where does he go? He goes to the synagogues. That's where I'm going to start. With the people I most like. And I'm going to show them in the Old Testament scriptures how Jesus is the son of David. How he is the Messiah. How he is the coming one. And I'm sure he practiced eating kosher 
as he was with them. But he's pointing to Jesus, who is the fulfillment of this old covenant. And now is, is the fulfillment of the new covenant. It was the ones with whom he had the most natural connection. And for some, this was great news. It was fantastic. But for some, it was an offense. You know, isn't it interesting that sometimes as you're trying to share with somebody about Jesus, they're, the people that are closest to you are oftentimes the ones that are hardest to share with, right? Maybe because they know you. Maybe because they think you're trying to get something over on them. Maybe they feel like you're judging them somehow. And for many, the cross of Christ is an offense because none of us like to appear weak. None of us like to appear needy. In our own nature, we want to do things on our own. I can, I can do it myself. That is our human nature. That is our flesh. I can earn my way into God's acceptance. I just need to pull up my bootstraps a little bit more. Do it a little bit better. Up my game, if you will. And the only way really you can minister to some of these folks at times is just to pray that God will open their eyes somehow. Open their eyes to their need for Jesus and who He really is. The one who first has to conquer hearts before he can conquer a government. See, because that's what they were expecting in the Messiah. Someone who's going to bring God's earthly government and overthrow everything. But he came first to deal with the hearts of men and women who were sinful and rebellion, and rebellion against God. The second group he seeks to deal with are, are those under the law. This group is similar but most likely they're Gentile converts to Judaism. And he says, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. This outreach is probably not a big stretch. Paul, again, had extensive knowledge of the Old Testament, and he was showing from the Old Testament that Jesus is the Messiah, the coming one. And they had a sensitivity to the God of the Old Testament, to Yahweh. Paul probably maintained a kosher diet. But now he's showing them that it's God's intent that salvation doesn't come through the law. It comes through Jesus, the Messiah. He'll say in his letter to Romans, chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, listen, between Jew and Gentile. That was a huge revelation for these Jewish proselytes and helped them to see that Jesus was indeed Abraham's seed through whom all nations will be blessed, as Abraham was promised in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. So who is that person in your life who has some sort of religious or spiritual background, but needs to see Jesus for who he really is? 
See, Jesus is not just a good teacher. He's not just a good example. He's not just a guy who gives good advice. He is the Savior. He is the one who does what we cannot do. That is satisfy God's righteous standard. He comes and lives a life that we can't. Dies a death to pay a penalty we can't. Rises from the dead, from the dead to conquer a foe we cannot. He came to restore what was broken. That is our relationship with the Holy God. We cannot do it. We cannot do it. And that is offensive sometimes to religious people. That's offensive because there's a heart of dedication. I want to show how dedicated I am to God. Yeah, that's okay. But you can't do it yourself. And one of the problems with religious people, again, is is they do want to do it themselves. Former world champion, Muhammad Ali, formerly Cassius Clay, became a Muslim. And we were asking about his faith. How do you go to heaven? And he said, well, if your good outweighs your bad, then you go to heaven. If your bad outweighs your good, then you go to hell. That was the Muslim theology. Unfortunately, some people who are under the banner of Christ are living like that. Their faith is not in Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished as the eternal sacrifice. It is in, if I'm good enough, I'll go to heaven. We need to, again, point to Jesus, who became sin for us, that we might become his righteousness. And when we celebrate every, every month, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Because we remember that we were separated from God. And what we were trying to do was not sufficient. Jesus had to come and do it for us. That's the message we're bringing to the world. And again, it's offensive sometimes. But it's offensive to our ego. Jesus is the only way. If this is something you're looking to engage with someone about, I want to encourage a resource that I'm using right now. Uh, Timothy Keller has written a book called King's Cross. And it really is kind of some highlights to the Gospel of Mark. But every everything he seeks to point to points to the fact that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the one who comes to bring the new covenant, to bring the new life that we cannot bring ourselves. And the focus needs to be on him. That's the message we bring to those who are religious but don't know Jesus for who he is. Number three, Paul comes to what he calls those not having the law. That is Gentiles who have ignored or are ignorant about the true living God and his word. He says, I became like one not having the law, though I myself am free from God's law. But I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. These are the nations who are living in darkness and ignorance of who God is. They're blind and clueless to God and the gospel. Unfortunately, it reminds me a lot of what our society is like now. Our secular society is 
sought so hard to get God out of the picture that most of our society is ignorant to who he is. Now for Paul, maybe this was a huge stretch because these are people who were mostly idolaters. People who are worshiping idols. And as a Jew, he was taught to completely reject that. These are the evil people that God had rejected. But Paul no longer regards himself as a Jew. He regards himself as Christ's man, as his ambassador to take this good news to a darkened, blinded world. He probably didn't keep his kosher regulations as far as he was eating with them. However, he was not lawless. He was not discarding God's moral law, especially as we have looked earlier in this passage, talking about honoring God with our sexuality. and not He didn't give in to sexual immorality. He says, I am under Christ's law at the end of verse uh, 21. He realizes that he has the Holy Spirit in him. That he is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And what he does, he drags Jesus into. But rather he is calling out to the God-shaped vacuum in each man and each woman. Because each is made in the image of God. And he has left a clue in culture and in creation. In Acts chapter 17, verses 22 and 23. He gives a speech to the men of Athens who are very much like the city of Corinth. He says, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For I walked around and took, and, and looked carefully at the objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. See, Paul entered their world, which again is full of idolatry. And he's relating to them on a cultural level, not condemning their idolatry, but rather commending their religiosity, their desire to seek God, something greater than themselves, even something they don't know, something they don't have a clue about. He's not trying to foist his own culture on them, but meet them through their culture and use that as an entry point for the gospel. What you worship in ignorance, I'm going to proclaim to you. That's what Paul was looking to do. Meet them on their level and help them understand God in a way they can understand. You know, in the 1800s, there was a great movement for missionaries taking the gospel overseas to Africa and to, to China. But there was one missionary named Hudson Taylor. And Hudson approached things differently. You see, everyone else kind of brought kind of British Christian culture to China. It says, well, this is the way you should live. Hudson Taylor, who was blonde-haired, blue-eyed, dyed his hair black, put on a black pigtail, put on Chinese garb, Lived, slept on the mat, ate rice, and sought to take the gospel to China that way. To, in his flesh, incarnate the gospel, bringing him, bringing the message of Jesus to a people that needed to hear about him. 
In fact, if you read some of the stories, it was a bit awkward, perhaps. I mean, they knew who he was. He was a white guy. But they understood that he was trying to reach them with the gospel. And frankly, it's, it's impacted all of modern missions about how we approach bringing the gospel to someone. You have to understand the culture you're trying to reach. Understand the people you're trying to bring Jesus to. Our sister Emily is going to go to the minis and proclaim the gospel there. You know what? She can't walk down the street in the garb she wears in downtown Rochester. She's going to have to adapt to that culture in order that they might receive the gospel. You know, there are churches being planted in inner city inner city uh, places like Detroit. And you know how they're reaching young black men and women there? Through hip-hop. There's a hip-hop church service where people are putting their faith in Jesus Christ. It might not be what we're used to. It might not be what we like. But they're receiving the gospel through that. Let me ask you the question. Who has God put in your sphere of influence? Who is different than you? And what are you doing? What are you doing to try and figure out how you can bring the gospel to them? And what are you doing to find common ground also that you might relate to one another? It might be a mundane thing just like, hey, I have a kid who plays soccer too. It might be even just commiserating about, it's tough to raise kids, right? But what are we doing? What are we doing to find a place where we can have a common ground to reach people that are different than us? Paul says, last of all, the last group, verse 22, to the weak I became weak to to win the weak. He says, I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. Paul realized he was not going to save the whole Roman Empire. He says, I, what I'm doing, I'm doing strategically in order that I might have an impact for the gospel. You know, when we go to Haiti, some of us have to learn a few Creole sayings just so we can get along, but also communicate the gospel there. But to the weak, he says, I became weak. Now, who are the weak? Who are the weak? In context, it might be the weaker brother that we're talking about in chapter 8 who's struggling with eating meat because it takes him right back to their idolatrous lifestyle. And Paul will say in verse 13 of chapter 8, Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. But in general, I think it is more broadly God's heart towards those in this world who we believe are weak, who are downtrodden, who are outcasts, who our world views as not so important. By the way, notice that the scripture, Paul doesn't go on to say, to the strong I became strong. You know, he addresses people that 
society views as, as weak, as lesser. In chapter 7, verses 21 and 22, he, he talks to the person who comes to Christ and is a slave, is owned by someone else. And he says, you know what? You're the Lord's freedman. And to the Corinthians themselves, he says in chapter 1, verse 26, Brothers, think about what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. You wouldn't be chosen by this world, but you're chosen by God. Because God's purposes are to show himself strong, even in the weak. Continuing on in that next verse of that same chapter. But God chose the foolish things of the world to, be, to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, and the things that are not. To nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. Who are the weak around us? Maybe they're the poor. Maybe they're the disenfranchised. Maybe they're the addict. I don't know. Maybe they're just the ordinary. The mundane. But I want to tell you that the gospel is not a self-help program. The gospel is about an I need Jesus dependence. If I don't have Jesus, I don't have anything. I don't have life. Former governor of the great state of Minnesota, Jesse Ventura, one said about Christians, you know, they're people that need a crutch. And you're right, Jesse. We do. Because we are spiritually crippled. But get in line, buddy. The sad thing about Jesse Ventura, at least currently, as far as I know, he's blind to his own need. God says in his word, I oppose the proud. God is not opposed to Jesse because he's a proud man. He's opposed to Jesse because he can't see his need for Jesus. He can't see his need for Jesus. If you're called to come alongside of somebody who is, in this world's eyes, weak, whether it's the refugee, whether it's the addict, whether it's the poor, whether it's the single mom where there's the orphan yeah go ahead and share some of the strengths some of the healthy things that God's word has taught you that's okay but you also need to share your weakness your need for Jesus also a few weeks ago at the men's we call it rise and shine meeting we had the privilege to have Walter Bush here. If you don't know Walter, he's with a, a ministry called Damascus Way. It's a halfway house for guys who get out of prison and are looking to change their lives. And he came to talk to us about the possibility of, of mentoring some of these guys. He says, yeah, you need to spend time with them. You need to share with them the good, healthy habits you have. But you know what you also need to share with them? 
your weakness, where you struggle, and how you need Jesus. Otherwise, they'll just see you as someone whose life they could never attain. And that's the thing, right? We, we put up a good, pretty good facade of we've got it together. But deep down inside, we need Jesus desperately. So share that with that person. Those of you who are going to sign up for softball, and I hope a lot of you guys do, especially for Thursday night, and rub elbows with those Minnesota Teen Challenge guys. Man, I hope you have a great time getting to know them as they share their lives with you, and you share their lives with them. But the cheer of that of that team needs to be, I need Jesus. Yes, I do. I need Jesus. How about you? That needs to be the cheer of that team. It's going to be a great chance to encourage those guys and be encouraged in Christ. Now, as we come to the end of this, not all of us are called to be Paul's. The Lord may not call you to go overseas, but he's going to call you to take the gospel to those who are around you. Those who are like you, those who are not like you. And this is a chance to be dependent upon him. To share the good news of Jesus Christ. Also to share the good news of Jesus Christ in your own life and how much you need Him and how He's changing you and meeting you. Who is Jesus? Who is God calling you to be that Jesus to today? Not saving them by your life, but bringing the good news to them to put on flesh and walk with them. Sharing your life with them. Sharing your need with them. That's a good word for today. Let me pray. And Brian, will you come and close us in worship? Again, Lord, you are the, you're the example of incarnational ministry. You came and you put on flesh and you dwelt among us. Because we couldn't reach you. And you explained who God is. And then you lived it out in dying and rising from the dead and conquering death. So Lord Jesus, as you've called us and you want to live your life through us, would you give us grace to be willing to give up our rights, to become all things to all people that are around us, and to reach them with the good news of Jesus. Help us to be purposeful intentional because this gospel is the power of God for salvation for those who believe help us first to believe that Lord and then to take it to a world that desperately needs it Lord Jesus in your name I pray these things Amen. would you stand as we close in worship